Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (laughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello, Rank Squad, and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast. Back for another week and back with the fifth of our six league previews today. We are off to Spain, off to sunny España to talk all things La Liga. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be joined by the Rank God, Mr. Sam Tai. How are you doing, mate? Hello, mate. Yes, I'm very well. How are you? I'm not too bad. Thank you. Not too bad. Coping with the heat. Our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing? Hello, mate. Yep, I'm very good. I mean, well, of course I'm good. Fulham just drew with Liverpool. Fulham would win La Liga, given the performance oh, yeah, that, we that we put in at the weekend. So, um, yeah, let, let's let's see how this side would fare up against Fulham. That's how we're going to judge them today. Yeah, that's that's going to be the, the main arbiter of how we look at every single side in La Liga. Yeah. Um, and we thought we'd get some expert opinion in to, to counter that kind of thing, basically. So, introduce Introducing and welcome to Ranks FC, Mr. Alan Feely, editor of Football Espana. Alan, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me on, Jack. I'm looking forward to discussing all things Lelegate with you guys for the next 40 minutes or so. I'm very much looking forward to the new season, although I am struggling being back in Seville, being back in Madrid, sorry, with the heat. It's pretty intense right now, but, uh, but yeah, it's the way it is. Yeah. We've we've been complaining over the last couple of weeks how hot it's been in London, but uh, I think we can kind of defer to a higher power here in terms of in terms of sunshine. So um, it, it's it's very warm, kind of everywhere. So we'll uh, we'll bow to you on that one. Uh, how we're going to work this, Alan? We're going to ask you uh, five or so questions. We're going to throw to Dean. He's going to he's going to do the questions, and then we'll sort of bounce off them and uh, and see where we go with this. But there's a load to discuss in the league, and I'm really excited about this. Um, so over to you, DJ. Yeah, I mean, there's only one place to start, isn't there? I mean, last season, 
Madrid kind of ran away with the league. I mean, it, they you look, you look back at the league table, um, it was 13 points in the end uh, that Madrid had um, on Barcelona. Um, but you get the feeling that that's not going to be the case this time around. I mean, Alan, so the first question we've got to say here is, who are the title favourites, given what we've seen over the summer, given what we saw at the back end of last season? Is it Madrid dominance? Or are we looking at something new here? Who, who are you going for? Who's the favourites to win La Liga? It's a good question. And it's good for La Liga that it is a question because in lots of leagues throughout Europe, it isn't anymore. Um one thing I will say is that Madrid haven't retained the league title in 32 years. Uh, so they've done it once in 32 years, wow. which is a pretty remarkable stat. And the reason wow. being is because Real Madrid are obsessed with the champion of the league, not La Liga. Um, so I think for that reason, coupled with the business that Barcelona have done this summer from a footballing perspective, we can argue whether it was morally or ethically or even financially correct to do what they did. But at the end of the day, they have a very strong squad of footballers, a promising coach. Um, they're really hungry. They're, they got a fire under their backside, you know. So I think that while logic would say that Madrid are a more stable, kind of, you know, logical, well-ordered and consistent outfit with a pretty, you know, settled summer, and um, it seems to be the case so far, I think that the sentiments here in Spain, at least, is that Barcelona are the favourites for La Liga this year. Wow. Yeah, Dean mentioned the... Uh... It is. D- Dean, Dean mentioned the, the gap between the two teams in terms of points last year, which was pretty astronomical. But if you sort of change the table, change the date, so to speak, from when Xavi took over, that gap is significantly smaller. I think it's five points, but it's it's definitely the sort of the hand span of a couple of wins either way. So that probably gives the listener a slightly better context as to how close these teams are coming into the season, even before Barcelona went and bought all of these incredible players. It might sound a little bit weird to say a team that were 13 or so points off are really the favourites here, but that, that table wasn't quite true, was it, by the end of the, ta- uh, the end of the season? No, it wasn't true because last season was very much a tale of two campaigns for Barcelona and for Real Madrid as well. I mean, the first half of the season, Madrid were kind of imperious. They really built up a good lead. Um, and then they afforded themselves the chance to kind of, you know, settle down the second half of the season, focus in the Champions League because they'd won La Liga with four games to spare. And their only real title challenger, Sevilla, kind of collapsed towards the back end of the season. So they were able to, you know, play... Their players, their best players, relentlessly for the first half of the season, like Karim Benzema, Vinicius Jr., you know, Tony Cruz, Luka Modric, um, Casemiro, you know, the big guys, um, and not rotate. So that in the back end of the season, they could bring in the likes of Isco, the likes of Gareth Bale, marginally, um, the likes of Danny Ceballos, you know, Jesus Vallejo, players who weren't getting a look in in the first half of the season suddenly became, you know, key role players because the focus was so much on uh, the Champions League, similar with Eduardo Camavinga to a lesser extent, and Fede Valverde as well. Um, I think Andrew Lunen got a game at one point, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He got one game, I think it was, yeah. Um, you know unreal. they're taking a piss at that. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas conversely with Barcelona, you know, the first half of the season was so diabolical under Ronald Koeman. It was toxic. It was an absolute disaster, overshadowed by the Usman Dembele situation. Whereas when Xavi came in, there was an immediate upturn performances, some good business in January that got them over the line into the top four and eventually finishing second. I mean, of course, there was a bit of bit of a, a wobble, can we say, maybe in the middle half and second part of the season. But I think overall, the progress is very, very um, uh, promising. And they seem to be, even if they're not a complete unit yet, they were very much like, together as a team. And they were very collective and they were kind of, you know, working Singing off the same hymn sheet. And the way Xavi handled situations like Frankie Dion's future and also Usman Dembele's future was very intelligent and kind of managed to maintain a harmony in the squad that was absent in the first half of the season. I think when we, we look at these Barcelona ins, Alan, and you know, we're talking Rafinha, obviously Dembele signed a new contract, then then Rafinha, Kunde, Lewandowski, Kessier, Christensen. Does that go down as one of the great transfer halls? Now we talked about this a little bit before you know, last season with PSG and, and who was brought into that side. And it didn't work out as planned. But this feels far more tactical. It feels far more they're bringing in players in positions of need. This could go down. And there's obviously always, like, you fly back to that summer where where Real Madrid, I think it was the end of 2009, right, brought in all of those players. And that's always kind of heralded as the great one. There's a chance, I think, here that this goes down as Barcelona's equivalent of that summer because it is there's game changers here in almost every position. Yeah, like I said earlier, I mean, 
we can debate the ethical or legal morality of it all, but at the end of the day, yeah. it's a clear footballing improvement. And once they can register the players, if they can register the players, it will be a serious upgrade in last season, which, as Sam mentioned, they weren't that far behind Madrid when, once Xavi took over. So I think, you know, the good thing with this almost business is that it's also a nice variety of ages because you have the likes of Jules Koundé, who's, you know, 22 years of age. Um, he's very much a guy who I think, at 23 years of age, sorry, I think he could be a top-class centre-back for the next decade. You know, he's hungry for this challenge, this opportunity. Uh, Robert Lewandowski is a decade older, exactly. He's 33. Um, but he's going to come in and deliver goals immediately. How long he'll do that for, whether it's two or three years, I don't know. But he's going to get 30 goals at least this season, you'd imagine. Um, <laughs> Frank Kessie, a 25-year-old, very underrated midfielder. Um, I think technically he's a lot better than people think. And people tend to assume he's only physicality. But even in pre-season, he's been playing different roles as an interior and as a number eight. And he's been very impressive. Um, you know, his title winning experience from last season over at Milan from their first Scudetto since 2011 and then you've other players too you know Andreas Christensen is a talented player I think he's better than what we saw the second half of last season at Chelsea um, Hafinha I love him genuinely I think he's so so good I think that while Dembele is a more talented player I think Rafinha brings a certain grit and tenacity to the team that is maybe missing I mean he's from Porto Alegre in Brazil it's a pretty rough area that he's from he's kind of come up in a pretty hard scrabble way uh, and then you have the likes of you know Pedri, Gonzalez and, and Gavi as well you know young players and Andrew Fadi too who are going to hopefully take a step up this season and maintain an injury-free campaign so I think if you look at the cogs of this machine it's very very impressive absolutely so I think that it potentially could be a really really big window for them because I mean I know we said the same with PSG last year but that was more kind of star power than you know logic as you alluded to Jack. Yeah, I was um I was speaking to a journalist in Barcelona this week because I was I was trying to figure out obviously Chelsea are being linked with Aubameyang as we record this and mm. have been for the past week or so so I was trying to gauge whether there was any chance of him actually leaving and this particular journalist said he didn't think so because Barcelona didn't want to sell him one of the reasons being that they want two players for every single role in that team and wasn't necessarily that Aubameyang was playing exactly the same role as Lewandowski, but if Lewandowski's not there, then Aubameyang becomes the main goal threat in that team. I mean, do you think that that could be a problem in terms of keeping all these players satisfied throughout the season? Because that, that's a different kind of challenge for Xavi. Yeah, I think it definitely will be a big problem. I mean, the two-player for each position approach is very logical. I think we all do that if we're you know, building a football manager roster or something like that. But you know, they're human beings as well as footballers, so you have to take that into account as well. I think the Aubameyang thing is interesting because basically for that position, you have him, um, Lewandowski, obviously, and also Memphis Depay. I think they'd rather sell Memphis Depay, um, but doing that deal is kind of a bit complicated. I think Juventus seems to be the latest kind of you know frontrunners for his signature. He's in the final year of his deal too, so it makes sense for him to move on now. Um, whereas I think Aubameyang is of a higher class of player anyway. Uh, the one thing I'll say about Aubameyang is that I was watching the Arsenal documentary of the last few days since it came out, and I kind of was struck by the way he kind of carried himself, you know, going to training and stuff with the wrapped Lamborghini and thing. Like he was clearly kind of, I wouldn't say a big fish in a small pond, because Arsenal is obviously a big pond, but he was pretty comfortable in the surroundings. Whereas he's coming to Barcelona now and he's playing second fiddle to, to Robert Lewandowski. There's no doubt about it. There's, like, you know, they've taken the number nine off Memphis and given it to Robert Lewandowski. He's clearly the marquee player. And there's also Andrew Fati, who I think would primarily play off the left, but can also be used in the middle of kind of a false nine option. So I think that Aubameyang will see this as what it is. It's a chance for him in the 12 years of his career to be part of a potentially Champions League winning team because that's what this, that's what this club wants. They want to win the Champions League. So I think that, especially for one season at least, you've players like Aubameyang and like Ferran Torres and like um, maybe Rafinha or Usman Zembele who will accept being almost rotational options because they know that they have a chance of being part of, you know, potentially one of the most exciting football teams in the last decade. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I, I think it's going to be really interesting. And, and that kind of dynamic between this new Barcelona and Madrid not standing still, I think that would be unfair, but but definitely not 
changing things up in the same way. You know, you're champions of Europe and champions of Spain. Why would you change it up in in all that much? Obviously, they've brought Chiromeni in. There's three in that midfield now looking to set, you know, to kind of just learn from that old guard and, and eventually supersede them, you'd imagine. Um, they, I still think they look a little bit light in, in the forward areas. I mean, it's been such a strange period with, with trying to find people to shadow Benzema. And it, the, the answer is basically it's impossible. I think we've all decided that you can't get someone to play second fiddle because the whole team is wired around Benzema. Um, but just a little bit but wider, I think. There's, there's a little bit light um, in those areas if things don't go, especially with so many players leaving kind of in, in those zones. But I think probably it's best we come on to their cross-city rivals because, Dean, Atleti are back where they want to be. Yeah, Atleti want to be out of the picture when a season begins. They do not want to be favourites, as we discussed at the start of last season. Uh, everyone fancied them to win the league apart from anyone that knew anything about Atleti and knew that that's not the position they wanted to be on. They, they don't want to be fancied by anyone. They want to be the dark horses and underdogs. And as expected, they didn't live anything like up to their billing. In fact, Barcelona, after a pretty terrible season by their standards, ended up overtaking them uh, and finished two points ahead of them in the table. So Atleti didn't even finish second. They ended up finishing third, which, let's be honest, is pretty poor, uh, given the way that La Liga panned out last season. So... Alan, I guess the I guess the question is this time, like, can Atleti put up a better challenge? I think they would be better than last season for the reasons you mentioned. I think that, you know, their mentality is more suited to chasing the leaders than to being the leaders. And I think the the kind of gravita or respect of having, you know, being title holders doesn't work in their favour in terms of the mentality. Also there's the fact that last summer they brought in some big name players, you know, Rodrigo de Paul, for instance who is quite a big ego, um, by all accounts, and kind of created a bit of a faction in the dressing room um, with you know the Latin Americans and, and the rest and that kind of thing. Also, Antoine Griezmann coming back also. Created kind of an interesting dynamic um, that kind of just hampered the kind of environment of the club, according to reports from those close to the club. Whereas this season, I think, you know, they'd be going into it with lower expectations. This summer, they've not done much business about an Axel Witzel from Bushi Dortmund on a free transfer. He's not a exciting signing but I think he can do a job in the holy midfield position La Liga will be a slower pace for him I think he'll be able to still contribute whether it's a centre back or in centre midfield or whatever similarly now Molina um, the right back from Udinese Argentinian international seems to be very promising it seems Cholo has wanted him for a long time and also having a right back suits Madrid more because last season they were playing at Marcus Renti there so much because they lost Kieran Trippier in the winter market for Newcastle United and that kind of completely unbalanced their team because we had La Liga's best midfielder last season playing at right back. And you didn't have the same kind of balance that you would have in left flank with Yannick Carrasco. And that kind of threw the whole system on a whack, that new kind of, you know, uh, 5-3-2 or 3-5-2 system that, you know, Cholo's been implementing since the season before last. Similarly, I think a couple of players could really come good this year. I think DePaul will improve upon his last season showing. He'll be focusing the World Cup. I think that Joel Felix is fully fit, raring to go by all accounts. He's had a good preseason. I think that it's now or never for him at Atletico Madrid. I think he fails this season to really kind of hit the heights we expect of him. You would have to begin to wonder, is it time to part ways? Um, and there's other options Definitely. there too. I mean, Alvaro Morales' future is up in the air. Matthias Cunha would probably improve on a good debut campaign. Um, Antoine Griezmann, you'd expect him to be a lot better than he was last season. So there is firepower there and there's good players there. I don't think they have enough to challenge the big two for the title, but I think they should be, you know, streets ahead of the fourth place team. What's the perception of Saul returning, uh, Atleti? I think it's been painted as a bit of a homecoming. I think, you know, he left there last season because he wanted to play in central midfield and then quickly realised that he's barely getting into the Chelsea team at left back, left wing back. I think he's maybe been humbled a little bit by that. I think he's maybe got his priorities back in order. I think at the moment he's happy to be back in Madrid. And I think he's committed to, you know, working for the benefit of the team uh, more so than he was the summer previous. So I think that it's a positive development. I think he's a good character. He's a good player. Better than the one he showed last season. Um, but I don't think he's going to be an integral starter this year. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's a tough it's a tough thing to go back after kind of demanding to leave. But he is, what, only 27? Hmm. You know, he, he's not... He's not someone who you go, okay, he's past the twi- you know, he's past the best years of his career. He's he's still very much in that prime, I think, for, for, for many of us. And 
you know, it just didn't, it just didn't work. Now that's not necessarily something to be, you know, that, that is upset about, I suppose, because so many good players go to this Chelsea side under Tuchel and don't look good in it. You know, this isn't, this isn't something that's unique to him. But I did think it would be better than it was. Um, and, and so I think that's, you know, what you're saying that makes makes sense. You know, he's like, OK, I'm going to have to come back in. I have to work hard for a place. I'm going to be shifted around a little bit. So, yeah, I, I think that's probably it's probably a good thing for Atleti. Obviously, they lost Hector Herrera. Witzel comes in as his kind of direct replacement. But bringing Saul back into that pack feels like feels like a positive upgrade. And, and Molina for Zalico sim- similarly. So, Feels like the only place they're probably a little bit lighter than last year is up front, mm. um, in, in terms of Luis Suarez. But maybe, maybe Alvaro Morata is now the answer at Atletico Madrid. Who, who knew? Who knew he was just there all along? Yeah, and it's kind of it's not ideal, of course. I mean, like it's similar to Saul coming back. Nobody really wants him to come back. He didn't want to come back either. I think that they've him and Simeone had a pretty public falling out over a Champions League game. I think it was the 2019-20 season. Um, and their relationship hasn't really repaired since then. Now, the one thing about Cholo is that he will put that to one side. He's not an ego-driven manager in a funny way. Like, he was open to signing Cristiano Ronaldo this summer if it meant that he would score goals for him. You know what I mean? Like, so I think that Cholo is the kind of guy who doesn't care what his personal relationship with the player is like because he cares about winning above all else. So I think that if Murata comes in and maintains the form he shows scoring a hat-trick against Juventus in the preseason friendly, then he will definitely get minutes. He'll definitely get an opportunity. And he's a good forward option because he keeps, you know, Ahan Carrera on his toes. He keeps Joel Felix in his toes and offers an interesting kind of alternative to dovetail with in the front line because I think Antoine Griezmann and Joao are kind of samey a bit. They're kind of similar profiles, kind of second strikers. So if you have, and Correa too is of a similar profile. So if you have, you know, the likes of Griezmann and Felix alternating with Cunha, who's more of a kind of a battering ram, kind of a big striker, and also Morata, I think it makes for a kind of more balanced front line than last season. Yeah, let's, um, let's round off the top four now and move on to Sevilla. I mean, they did finish fourth last season, but, but since then they've had the heart of their defence ripped out of them. Uh, Diego Carlos gone, Jules Koundé gone. Not massive surprise on either front, and at least they kept them for the whole of last season in the end when clubs were trying to take them in Jan. But well, look, they were well off the pace in terms of winning the title. They managed to secure fourth five points ahead of Real Betis in the end. Are they in danger, uh-huh. do you think? <laughs> Sorry, Jack. Are they? Are, do you think they're in danger of dropping out of that top four? Is there anybody that you think, Betis or otherwise, that could actually challenge them? Or do you think they'll still be safe? Yeah, it's definitely a danger. It's definitely a danger. Like, the vibe of Sevilla right now is not good. I mean, I lived there. I was there last season for the whole year. Well, for the second half of the campaign, sorry. So I know, you know, both Sevilla and Betis very well. I know the fans very well. And they were not happy with Lopetegui at the end of the season at all because mm. Lopetegui is a coach who plays results football and Sevilla as a city and as a team and as a fan base like attractive football. It's the most passionate part of Spain and while that's a stereotype, it's true for the most part. They like playing kind of swashbuckling front foot football and they put up with Lopetegui when he was getting results, when he was performing well in Europe, going deep in the Copa del Rey and getting fourth place every season. But once that began to falter a bit, things were always going to turn. Um, and that's happened basically towards the last, end of last season. A lot of Sevilla fans wanted him gone. A lot of them wanted him gone. They thought it was the end of the cycle and that a new chapter would be better with somebody like Marcelo Gallardo from Liverpool Plate who will come in and bring more aggressive football to Sevilla. The departures this summer are big. I mean, Koundé and Carlos were the pillar of the team, probably the best defence in La Liga over the last three seasons, one of the best defences in Europe. What I will say is that it was a pretty, you know, multifaceted defense. It wasn't just a partnership because he was with Fernando Regis and was sitting in that position in front of the two of them, often dropping in between them to free up the fullbacks and also to free Koundé to go forward. And Fernando was injured for the second half of last season. He's fully fit now. So I think he's a big boost to have back. Um, Isco signing is an interesting dynamic because he's obviously have an unknown quantity given his form over the last couple of seasons, um, last quite a few seasons actually. But I think that given the right structure, Working with a coach he knows and respects and doing Lopetegui, we could see the best of him again. Not the best of him in terms of 2016, 2017, but a good version of him, if that makes sense. Um, but the lack of a striker is a big issue. Players who are out of form, the likes of Lucas Ocampos, who were key to the team when they were doing really well, aren't performing in the same way anymore. Jesus Navas is a year older. Fernando was a year older as well. So, yeah, it's going to be difficult for them this season. I wouldn't be surprised if they were to... Uh, 
be caught up with the rest of the chasing pack. And also, just to finish up on that, I think that last season was such a missed opportunity for them. And it really is hard to psychologically recover from that. Like the reason they kept Diego Carlos last winter and Jules Koundé as well, and they went for Anthony Martial, is because they thought they had a chance of winning the title, basically. They're out of Europe practically. They saw a chance there with Real Madrid not being completely convincing. And I was at the game, I think it was the middle of April, when Madrid came to the Sanchez Pijuan and came from 2-0 down to win 3-2. And that was apparently the game that Koundé decided to leave Sevilla. He said, I have to go. This mentality is not for me. And it was true, I was there in the flesh. It was just, it was kind of very disheartening, very flattening, very weak. And that's just not what you want the title chasing elite side to be. And for all of Sevilla's qualities, and they have many, I don't think that they have what it takes to take the next step and to really make the big three a big four. What, what would actually have to happen then for the rest of the summer window for you to feel a lot more comfortable with Sevilla and their kind of top four chances? You've referenced there, obviously, the, the the heart of the cent- the central defense has been ripped out. I know they they've signed other players. Yeah, it's um, Marcal, who I'm yeah. completely not convinced by whatsoever. But they're, they're obviously not going to be as good as as Kunde and Carlos. Like Kunde is one of the best young defenders in the world. Um, obviously, they don't have a striker like I don't know how far back you have to go. Ben Yedder, I guess probably. And since they had a, a really really yeah. top striker, I like him in the series, but like he's not as good as as as, as the previous ilk so is there anything they can do this summer to make you feel more comfortable or is it the fact that Lopetegui is still there and there's a there's a rough feeling around the club I mean that it's it's almost impossible for them to recover I think so really I mean it's it's very difficult I mean I think the centre back they like most for that right sided player is um, Hilo Carrera from PSG he's a pretty on brand um, Sevilla Manchi signing I mean he still played a lot of football for PSG last year without being a first choice but I think this season his minutes will be limited even further I think him and Mark Howe are obviously downgrade on um, Kunde and Carlos, but I think the pillars of that defense, you know, Acuna, Navas, Yassin Bono, Fernando are strong enough that, and Lopetegui's defensive coaching ability is strong enough that they wouldn't suffer that badly from that perspective. I mean, the main thing with Sevilla is the lack of creativity, because I remember in 1920 that Ever you know, at the heart of that midfield, and he offered such a creative unpredictability. It was incredible especially in the back half of the season when they came out of post-lockdown and they were playing behind closed doors and it was a single kind of a 10-game stretch. He was one of the best midfielders in Europe in that month because he's a highly talented player, but he's never really been mentally strong enough to maintain that form consistently. And that's why he was absolutely not at a top European club. So I guess the hope would be that Isco could be that player. But regarding the Ben Yedder situation, yeah, not since then have they had a striker capable of doing what he does. And I can't see them putting it out of the happiest market either. They hope that would be Martial. But it wasn't the case. Absolutely not. So I, I would be pessimistic no matter what. I think some people writing them off for the top four is a bit much. Um, I heard some saying that they are definitely going to fall over the season. I don't think that's the case. I think we've heard people big up with Real year after year, Real Sociedad year after year, um, to no avail, to much ado and no avail. Whereas I believe that, you know, Sevilla still are a strong team. This is a very competitive team. And their weakness isn't losing games. It's not winning games. They drew more games than MBS last season, 16. Um, so that's what it is, basically. But I, I think they'll be in a fight for the top four, for sure. Uh, they won't get near the title race, in my opinion. And if I was to back anybody to usurp them, it would be Real Betis. Yeah, that's a, that's a lovely change of the guard across the across the city, um, and one that would make me very happy. I'll be honest, Alan. But um, I mean, look, this is it's been a funny summer in in many ways for a lot of people, and the two kind of quiet businesses I like have been Betis and Real Sociedad as well. Um, sort of just quite quite quietly going under the radar and getting bits done. And it feels to me like that you know Villarreal, I feel, have, are probably a regression candidate. You know, they, they've I feel like they've stood still if anything at this point. And much as I love. El Comandante. Um, I'm not sure he's the the one man that's going to completely change this around for them. So, is it is it those two that you see as kind of like the two challengers for this, or or are VAR still in that conversation? Yeah, I think the vibe at Red Betis is very special at the moment. Um, they still have the window left to be, you know, done. So I think you know the likes of Hector Bellerin, Danny Ceballos, potentially still be coming in. I don't know. I think Luis Enrique. It's a really interesting signing. The Brazilian, he's yeah. really good in preseason, coming in from Fluminense. Um, and just, you know, like I said, I was at, I was in Seville last season, so I know what the vibe was like in the city. And when they won the Copa del Rey, it was one of the most amazing weekends of my life, literally. Like, it was incredible. Um, the scenes you see on the streets of Seville was just amazing. Everyone's singing Manuel Pellegrini's name. Like, these players have become proper icons and, you know, better folklore, the likes of 
Joaquin, obviously, but also Sergio Canales, um, Mark Bartra, even, uh, you know, Claudio Bravo, uh, Bellerino, though he's gone, um, Alex Moreno, just turned down Nottingham Forest to stay, uh, you know, Nabil Fakir, Guido Rodriguez, uh, and there's several really impressive Borja Iglesias as well, Juan Mi, like there's really a lot of players to choose from. So far, they're all staying. I mean, Fakir can still go, Guido can still go, um, we'll see what happens there, but I think that you know, the style of football they're playing under Pellegrini hasn't reached the ceiling yet. They're playing very fun, very coherent, very positive football. And the fans will be completely behind them and things can't get much better for Betis after winning the Copa del Rey in the city of Sevilla last season. So expectations will be high, but not in a strangling way, like at Sevilla. So I think that they'll be going into the season with positivity, with not, you know, crippling expectations. And that's a good recipe for, for success. Real Sociedad are a really good team as well. A very stylish, functional footballing team who, when they're in full flight, are probably one of the best teams in, in, in Spain to watch, for sure. Really good coach, Manuel Agasil, who's very connected to the clubs and the foundations and structures. The only issue with Real Sociedad for me is that they don't have the grizzled authority that the likes of Sevilla especially had. I remember Phil Ball, who lives in San Sebastian and covers them very closely, you know, one said to me that the difference between Sevilla and the Sociedad is that Sevilla have players who know the win games and avoid defeat when it's ugly and when it's difficult. They have Argentinians like, you know, Gonzalo Montiel, like, you know, Lucas Ocampos, like Cunha, who are nasty. You know what I mean? They're nasty players. Like. Whereas Real Sociedad have a much younger, fresher team who are maybe more talented and can play better football in Sevilla, but don't have the same grit that you need to sustain form across the 38 game season. So, what is happening for us also is them beginning strongly, beginning impressively. People get carried away talking about them as top four contenders, as even title contenders, but I think that they won't sustain it over the full course of the season. We've seen it three years in a row now. Villarreal, I think they're a good squad. They underperformed badly last season and the season before, finishing seventh in both campaigns. Obviously, they're very well in Europe, but I think that's more to do with Unai Emery's tactical noose than it is to do with the quality of the team. I think Emery as a coach has always been better in you know one-off tactical battles with other coaches. That's why he's always been so good in Europe. And that's why, you know, they won the Europa League in 2021. And that's the same in Florida in 2022. So they're a very good team. I'll accept them to do better this season and be in the conversation for sure. But I think that, you know, this kind of hailing them as the successors is to be as, you know, fourth place kind of trophy crown is a bit premature. But let's see how they go first because like Sevilla, they also have a serious problem with winning games. And while, yeah, Morales is not maybe an inspiring signing, I think he is a good option because he kind of gives an alternative to Danjuma and to Moreno in that kind of, you know, goal-scoring role. He's so. great fun. I, I, I really yeah. do like him, but yeah. I'm just not sure he's the, you know, the extra kick of quality that, that they need there. There was rumours of him selling, Boulidia. You know, I was like, this seems all a bit premature off the back of, of, of one season. But no, I, I do like it. I'm just not completely convinced that they're going anywhere in the right direction. It feels like their kind of peak was two years ago and they've, they've been falling away from it ever since. Well, well, but, you know, when Gerard Moreno is injured as much as he is, you got you, they just want maybe that like X-factor attacker who can step in 10 times a season when Moreno misses 10 games. And, you know, Morales feels like a pretty decent, like, I don't want to say it, but B-Tech Moreno in a way. Um, yeah. and, and that kind of player that will be happy to play a bit part role. Now he's 34, I want to say, or something like that. 35. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah maybe that. Yeah. I think also that Juma is still there. I mean, we'll see if he's still there by the end of the window. I think it could be likely he could be on the move. Um, I can see you know they're paying 70 million for him or something at some point. Mm -hmm. But uh, but yeah, if, if they have Dan Juma there, I mean, obviously Moreno kind of comes off the right a bit more, but Morales is a good option now. I mean, he's 35, like you said, so he's not going to be a consistent player over the course of the season. He's not going to score 20 goals, but he will contribute and he will offer something different from the attack and take the pressure off him and all that. Just briefly, let's take it away from those that are looking for success and look at those who might regress, in fact. And um, I think I'm staring Valencia straight in the face here, but I want to ask you who you think the biggest regression candidate is from last year's top half. Um, who do you think could drop off? Um, yeah, I think Valencia, the logical choice. I mean, I think the club have brought in Ernesto Valverde, who I think is a really impressive, underrated coach. And I think that they could be very interesting this season. They could really push on and challenge for a Europa League place or at least a European place. I think Champions League is probably beyond them, but I think they could definitely be in the conversation for, you know, that kind of chasing pack. I think Valencia, like, they're a mess of a club, complete mess of a club. Um, 
Reno Gattuso was probably the most unstable coach they could have brought in from what we've learned about his history and his career and his personality. Um, I'm really surprised he hasn't quit yet. He'd quit at this point under Fiorentina, Fiorentina, hadn't he? He'd already left. Yeah, he's also just incredibly uninspiring football that he coaches. Like, it's going to be so boring. It is. And, like, I mean, they've lost Gonzalo Guedes now to Wolves. And, like, if you look at that, they can say the summer no matter what. It was inevitable. But, like, if you look at, you know, it was going to be either Jose Luis Gaia, the captain, Carlos Soler, and the fielder are Gaitas. And while Gaitas is the, the logical one, because he's not, he's Portuguese, first of all, he's not the club captain like Gaia. He's not, you know, the creative, kind of homegrown, you know, high seeding talent like Soler. But he is the difference maker, and he could produce something out of nothing and score important goals. If you take him out of that team now, they're missing goals. I mean, they're looking at bringing in maybe Brian Hill back from Spurs for another season unknown. Also, Nico Gonzalez from Barcelona. You know, interesting players for sure, but I'm not sure will they have enough to kind of push on into the new season and kind of progress. And there's also the possibility of a flare-up between Gattuso and, um, you know, Peter Lim and the hierarchy of Valencia. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I wouldn't be very optimistic about them. I, in regards of other regression candidates, I think Celtic Vigo could also be able to show because the behind-the-scenes atmosphere there is terrible with Carlos Mourinho and um, the, the owner and Dennis Suarez in, like, open warfare. Um, Iago Aspas is another year older there's a heavy reliance on him for goals you know, Chachu Kude is a really good coach in my opinion but he just hasn't quite worked in the Celta they've kind of you know flattered to deceive in many occasions so I think they could be and they are being tipped by many people who know a lot about football that was Spanish football as being a potentially you know outside shout for getting dragged into a relegation battle yeah that's yeah. F- Totally fair enough. Well, let's round it off then and, and look right down the bottom. Um, two quick ones for you, really. Which promoted side is most likely to stay up and which side from last season is probably in big danger and could go down? I think Almeria look good. Um, if they keep on to Umar Sadiq, who's a really talented striker, been to several yeah. kind of Europe, European-class clubs like Borussia Dortmund, Sevilla, Villarreal, I think they, they could do very well. Um, they seem to have a proper footballing project in place, and they've just been they just eluded you know promotion for the last few seasons. But they seem to have been ready. It wasn't like you know Rayo Vallecano last season kind of sneaking into it um, at the last minute, not being fully prepared. Even though they did do well last season, I think they're a club who are very much ready for promotion and will do well this season. I think even you know the the geography of it, like going down to Almeria, it's not a very well connected place. It's quite remote, quite isolated, quite hot, quite desert-like is where they shot the, the good, the back, and the ugly films. So I think, you know, they could be a good shout for uh, having an impressive campaign, and they're probably the strongest of the promoted teams, in my opinion. And regarding last season's La Liga teams who could go down, I think that, you know, Elche and Rayo Vallecano could be in real trouble. I mean, Elche aren't a very strong side. Um, they set up last season, obviously. I just think that they could be vulnerable this year because promoted teams in La Liga tend to do quite well when they come up. Um, also, Rayo Vallecano. I mean, they had a good season last year, obviously. Fell apart quite alarming in the second half of the campaign. Looked like they're going to bring in Diego Costa, which is a pretty interesting acquisition. Um, you know, in him and Falcao, they've a pretty old, uh, pretty unreliable. <laughs> they force. love chaotic strike forces, don't they? they that, is, yeah. that is unbelievable. Izzy Palathon providing balls to Costa and uh, and Falcao is, the th- is a thing of legends. That's going to go down in history. In yeah. in my mind somewhere, Costa's played for Raya. Was he on loan there or something at one point? Or is he that... was, yeah. yeah. Years ago, he was. He was. He was. I, yeah. I mean, it was like a decade ago, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think the, his, his signing is... A, like, like, I'm sure you know about the ownership situation at Raya. It's pretty shambolic as well and they're pretty yeah. poorly organized club off the pitch i think their success under anthony Iriola has been in spite of the organization of the club and because of it i think he's a very talented coach i think he doesn't want Diego costa that seems to be the case but it's a ownership driven signing he wants the prestige or the marketing appeal or whatever it is so yeah i, I can just see things going a bit pear-shaped there and i can see Iriola either walking or departing a mutual terms for some place that he can you know put his talents to work a bit better and a bit more stable environment so. 
Yeah, the way Rayo yeah. ended the, uh, the the season was horrific. I mean, basically the entire second half of the season was horrific, and they did a proper whole city on it. Where the first half they were unreal, um, and they basically stayed up as a result. So if they lose like their first two three games, like I will immediately just assume they're going down because they will need to arrest that slide that they were on. And if they don't do it really fast and reset the record, it will just continue, won't it? And it will it will end badly. And also the adrenaline in the first season back, you know, I remember everyone going to Vallecas last year. It was very exciting, very new, very fresh. Whereas like the second season, second season syndrome was a real thing, as you alluded to, you know, coming off the back of a pretty uninspiring second half of the season. Well, that's an understatement, the pre-Shambolic second half of the season. So yeah, I wouldn't be overly optimistic about them. And I think that if you look at the clubs who could be in the fight, who are, who are safe last year, I think they could definitely be in the conversation for sure. Because they, they seem to be not progressing not on the up, upward curve they seem to be more kind of on the downward curve so i fear for them yeah i, I mean they have the power of a cast that's, that's something i suppose to, to kind of fall back on um but yeah there, there, there's a kind of there was that strange mix at the end of last season where obviously there were so many teams in it right till the last day you know hatafe Mallorca, kadith all stayed up by a point um and and then also Elche just felt like they should have been lower down uh, they had their kind of miracle turnaround yeah. a couple of weeks beforehand but it does feel you know as you say with with celta and celta vigo in, in that mix that there's a lot of teams who could be in this conversation i mean sam and i have talked a little bit about the fact that we quite like uh, Girona's business. We're, we're very impressed with the addition of, of Tati Castellanos from NYCFC, who we think is a lovely player. Um, and, and they've picked up a couple of, of, of good good signings there in the mix of it. You know, um, you, you're looking at Jan Kuta there. Rodrigo Kelme is very exciting. Yangel Herrera's come in. Um, so, so there's a lot to like about what they're doing there as well. Um, but just kind of finally, I suppose, to kind of round it off and, and to come away from La Liga a little bit, there's seven teams in. European competition, seven Spanish teams, you know, part of it re- relies on Villarreal qualifying through that final qualification round for, for the Europa Conference League. But is it, you know, can anyone, you know, obviously Real Madrid are, are, are title holders in the Champions League. And, and, and we saw, we've seen Spanish clubs dominate in Europe kind of across the boat, you know, uh, all the way through these, these, these kind of years. Is there a sense that this could be another year that that is good uh, for the for these Spanish teams? Because it feels like in Real Sociedad and Real Betis, you have two kind of re- relatively chaotic teams who have you know famously done well in the last two domestic cup competitions. Um, who who can kind of look at this European campaign and go, yeah, why not the Europa League? We could probably get towards the end of that. And then you've got Barcelona and Real Madrid and Atleti, obviously, who who kind of love knockout competitions. In the top tier, it feels like this has the potential to be another good season for Spain, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think if you look at the seven clubs who qualified, they all are competent units in their own right. I mean, like Villarreal, some people have said that they should be better off not being in Europe at all this season because they could focus purely on getting into the top four. And I see the logic of that, but I think that a club like Villarreal with their stature and the kind of limited nature of their ultimate ceiling, I think challenging for the Conference League and becoming the first Spanish team to win the Conference League well, it's actually the first time a Spanish team ever competed in the Conference League because they qualified in 2021-22 and played in the Champions League because they won the Europa League. So I think that they could take it seriously, potentially, and win it. You know, I mean, we saw what Roma was like last season. It was incredible. Um, and it a lot, and lots of them in Roma are a much bigger club than Villarreal or ever will be. So I think that they could take it seriously. They could potentially win it. I think Emery would probably like having that on his belt, that notch in his bedpost, you could say. Similarly, I think, you know, as you mentioned, Real Sociedad and Real Betis are both really talented teams who could give anyone a game on their day. I think they're more mature now than they were last season and the season before in Europe. Um, Real Betis especially have title and experience under their belt. I think they will definitely be targeting the Europa League and taking it very seriously. Um, so both of them could go very far and it could be outside shots for the uh, eventual winners, you could say. And then similarly, yeah, the top four, I mean, Sevilla. I can see a scenario this season where Sevilla performed better in the Champions League than they do in La Liga in terms of, I think, they have a team who are very difficult to beat and in a progressive knockout competition without a title race looming over them, they could quite deep in the competition. They could definitely improve on last season because they budgeted for the quarterfinals last season of the Champions League and didn't make it out of the group, um, which is shambolic, to be honest with you, an embarrassing thing in that group. And they should have won it in the first place. Uh, similarly, I think Atletico Madrid, you know, won't have enough to challenge for the league title this year, in my opinion. I don't think they'll be in the conversation come back into the season, but they do have 
the talent and the coach and the competitive nature to go and potentially win the Champions League because, you know, anybody can win it. And it's not always the best team who wins the Champions League. I was at the game against Man City last season at the Wanda Metropolitano, now called the Civitas Metropolitano. I can tell you the atmosphere of that game was ridiculous. I've never seen a more venomous, aggressive, intimidating cauldron in my life. And I'm an Everton fan. So I was pretty impressed by that. And I think that, you know, they'll harness that to their ability this year. If there's any kind of positive momentum around the club, I think they'll be pretty uh, formidable going into the European competition, especially in the latter stages when Cholo can kind of, you know, go toe-to-toe tactically with his peers. And then, of course, the big two, you can't discount them. I think that Madrid obviously are holding reigning title winners. Um, they've history, a recent history of chaining um, titles together in Europe. I think that they could definitely be do it again, um, especially if, you know, Shemeni delivers his promise, if Vinicius continues in his form. I think, like you said, though, the issue with Madrid is the striking situation. I mean, the plan at the moment seems to be to have Karen Benzema leading the line with Eden Hazard as a false nine and a backup position. I don't think that's enough if Benzema gets injured, given the importance he had to their European campaign last season. I think it really be a negative thing for them if he was to get injured or if he was to lose any kind of form or anything like that. And then Barca, I think, yeah, they're definitely in the conversation because the quality they have, the firepower they have now as well, the kind of positivity around the club. There was 85,000 at the uh, Joan Gamper on Sunday evening when they beat Pumas 6-0. Um, the average attendance last season was 50-something thousand Camp Nou. There's a real positivity around the club. There's an us-against-world mentality around the club. I think pretty much every neutral in European football hates them and wants them to fail. Um, so, yeah, I think that both Madrid and Barca and Atletico could be in the conversation of winning the Champions League this season. So I think it could be a good season in Europe for Spanish clubs. Yeah, feels like a, it feels like a good kind of good preamble to the season full stop. You know, we feels like there's a title race back. It feels like there's a real battle for these Champions League and, and European spots that could involve, you know, sort of eight, nine teams in, in that kind of mix and in, in different kind of categories. And then it looks like there could be a, a hell of a relegation scrap on, on our hands as well with, with that amount of teams that were pulled into this last year. Chuck that into into a European campaign and, and things look very rosy in the league because I think at the start of yes last season, it did feel a little bit like the Liga maybe lost its luster to the outside world, perhaps. Maybe not not you know, not within. But I think a lot of people saw those opening weekends, those record lows in terms of goal scoring and and it kind of felt like Oh, okay. Maybe we're seeing Serie A have it have its moment in the sun. And and I think La Liga, I think, had been many of our second leagues for so long, especially in England, that it was, you know, the kind of natural one to fall back on when 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 other things weren't on. And and last year it felt like Serie A kind of took that spot a little bit and and kind of made it the most had the the big title race with three teams in it that all of the kind of exciting drama that surrounded it um but i think that the liga might well be back so i'm i'm, I'm glad i'm glad for it <laughs> as a as an iberophile would be the phrase i would use um the it does feel like this is a good time to be a la liga fan really alan all that's left to do is to say thank you so much uh, for coming on ranks fc and to ask you to let the listeners know where they can find you. Yeah, no worries. My pleasure. Enjoyed the conversation. Um, you can get me basically on Twitter at uh, Azul Feely, A-Z-U-L-F-E-E-H-E-L-Y. And then also on Football España, you'll be covering everything from, you know, Madrid getting underway in the Super Cup on Wednesday night against Eintracht Frankfurt in Finland with, you know, La Liga kicking off the first match day on Friday evening until the end of the season, where hopefully we'll see Spanish clubs competing in European finals again. Perfect. After the break, we've got a Mel of the Week and the gibberish ranking, so don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC and another massive thank you to Alan Feely from Football España for his wonderful insights on La Liga there in our preview. But it is time now for everybody's favourite part of the week. And Dean Jones, the floor is yours. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Bayer Leverkusen goalkeeper Lucas Hradecki. This is proper, proper melanish. And I mean, you two even even could see this coming on Monday's Patreon. You said this was melanish territory. Indeed, it was. He was given a red card. Right on 90 minutes, actually, he committed this offence. He actually ended up being about two minutes later in injury time when he actually got his red card because it went to VAR. But he handled the ball just outside his box and denied a goal-scoring opportunity. Basically, it was literally the last minute. Uh, Dortmund pumped the ball forward from their own half. 
And it looks like the ball, to be fair to him, probably thought he would have a bit more on it. And the ball drops and bounces for the first time. And it doesn't have much momentum to it. So he kind of starts a little bit. And Marco Royce probably starts chasing it down. And Hrodeki just tries to carry on like normal, catches the ball. It is clearly not in his box at this point. Catches the ball and just rolls it out like nothing's happening. And actually play does continue for a little bit, but Terzic is going absolutely mad on the side of the pitch, like screaming at the fourth official, like, wait, stop the game. You need to check this. Um, They did check it. He was clearly outside his area. It's funny. Like he came out with quotes after the match and he said... We're talking about centimetres or millimetres here, but that's the way it is. I should have probably paid more attention during the refereeing seminar. Mate, these rules are not new. These yeah, rules are also, not new. Also, so what if it's millimetres? It's, it's several yeah. centimetres yeah, and say, the line is the line. <laughs> We're talking about centimetres. Yes, we are, mate. About seven centimetres outside the box, you caught the ball. Yeah. That's not allowed. <laughs> So he's such stood, a mental one. He stood on on the the paint on the eighteen yard line edge of the box, and he is waiting for the ball to bounce to him. And he realizes, oh no, oh no, this ball is not going to make it to me in time. So he just extends his arms and he catches it at full extension, which means yeah. actually we're talking more than seven cent. We're talking about an arm length of a professional goalkeeper <laughs> outside the box. This is your fault and your fault only, Lucas, and you can blame no one but yourself. Pure yeah. melon. Talking of handballs, I did think you might give this to Giorgio Chiellini. It was very funny what Chiellini did. Very funny. Um, and because there are a lot of Americans listening, I probably should have gone to MLS and given it to Chiellini for his volleyball hit. The ball just bounces higher than he's expected and is... Well, it's going to go over his head and he's probably caught out of position. I presume that's why he does this, but he literally just throws both arms up and just whacks it. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> it's like you act? completely forgot. So this happened to me once playing like football for, for Durham. Um, and we had a bloke in our team who, who also played like, I can't remember, like ultimate Frisbee or something. And he came in for a corner in our box and he literally just like leapt up and punched the ball out of the box. And we were like, what are you doing, Josh? <laughs> and he was like... Uh, oh, I'm so sorry. I just completely forgot. <laughs> like, he just was going over his head and he just like Jenny jumped up and like punched it away. And I was like, well, we've just given away a penalty. Like, <laughs> he was like, I'm so sorry. It was like, and it was also, it's one of those who were like, it's so stupid. You can't even like blame him for it because he was like, obviously I know I'm not supposed to do that. I just like, my head was, my head was just gone for a minute. And he was like, we were obviously like, oh, we obviously didn't mean to. Like, you've just obviously like gone into reflex mode. And that's yeah, happened. Yeah. That's what it felt like for Chiellini. So this, yeah. this happens to me actually in my football group, um, probably about once a week, um, because the lads are, <laughs> that, well, you try and lift the ball over the top and by, by 50 minutes in, they're all absolutely exhausted and they're not really interested in chasing the ball back over their head, just like Chiellini. But these are all like, you know, somewhere between 35 and 45-year-old men, you know. Um, so is Chiellini, to be fair. <laughs> okay, not, not professional athletes, and they just can't be bothered. Um, Chiellini doesn't really have too much of an excuse, unless he has not been really. playing a lot of volleyball on the beach in LA recently. Maybe, Maybe. that's it. Ooh. Maybe he lives in like Santa Monica, and that's what he's been doing every day, all day after training. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's a good point. It's a fair excuse if that's the case. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. I'm, we're all for Georgia Chiellini, but there you are. Lucas Rodetsky, you are Melon of the Week. <laughs> oh God, that was a really short one because oh my voice no. just stopped working. Um, sorry mm. about that. Uh, a really short, I'm sure people will be delighted that they haven't had to listen to yeah. the whole thing, to be honest. Um, that is, however, a very short gibberish siren, um, which means that, Sam, it's over to you. Yeah, I've uh, been thinking this week about all the stuff that I don't like, but I wish I did. Oh, just I like to make... this one. This is a good one. Yeah, just stuff that would make my life obviously so much easier if I yeah. liked these things. It yeah. is a long list. Obviously, I have I have cut it down to a top three. And at three, we'll start with carrots, um, specifically carrots. Now, this can obviously apply to so many vegetables. I eat so few of them. Um, but carrots would be a big win for me just in, individually. Mostly because um, they're Rach's favourite. Oh, yeah. And it would just be so much better if if I liked Rach's favourite vegetable. You know when you go to a nice restaurant and you get the shared side dishes? Yeah. yeah. She yeah. always wants to get the carrots and I always want to get not the carrots. And like, obviously it's fine. We can, we can have multiple dishes. 
But the idea is you share a bit of that. And you know what? Every single time we go to a very nice place, we get the carrots. And when Rach says, oh, these are good carrots, I go, all right, I'll give it a go. I'll try it. Awful. Absolutely awful. Every single time I try, I try, see if my taste buds have changed. Because that does happen over time. Carrots continue to elude me. And I just hate them. But I wish I didn't. Fair. <laughs> Makes sense. I, I, I feel you. I feel you. Carry on. Yeah. Marathon. Marathon. In it, hey, in it too is fish. Good lord, fish, fish are generally. I, I hate. I hate eating fish. Oh, yeah. so we're dead we, fish. You don't like alive fish. <laughs> you don't like fish generally. Uh, fish that are alive <laughs> are okay. They they can stay. Um, but dead fish that that you then eat. Um, yeah, I mean, I just it, again, there's there's just so many different fish. Um, and yeah, it just feels uh, like a generalization. <laughs> no, but I hate all of them. Uh, don't no, like any fish. fish. You don't. I'm yet, to, I'm yet to find a single. You fish. had some fish when we were in Genoa. Um, we went to I a had. seafood restaurant by accident. <laughs> no, I didn't. You can't call that fish. That was sea urchin. <laughs> you did have some sea urchin. Yeah, That's... I mean, look, I like, I like, um, I like prawns. I like lobster. Obviously, I like crab. I like squid. I like octopus. And well, no, I'm not going to say I like sea urchin. No, um, but well, I, I have tasted it. it yeah. yeah, but I like all those things. But as soon as it becomes an actual fish not interested and i've tried i have tried a fair few and and, and not even that not even that the the finest salmon um that my parents love and cook for every time we get the family together can't bloody have it um it's in so many different dishes um you know when you go to places like portugal it, you know coastal <laughs> coastal coastal countries they specialize in fish People go, oh, go to Portugal, you'd love it. It's a great fish. I go, well, I won't love it. Well, I hate fish. Now I, I know. Did... I went to a steak restaurant in Portugal. We didn't go to a fish restaurant. Did didn't know do that, that at the time. Yeah. Rare. There you go. Mm. <laughs> I don't like them. I wish I did, man. It'd be so much easier. Also, they're so good for you. you know, Dean, you're always talking about how you're eating fish and you look great, man. Yeah. Thank you, mate. I do eat a lot of fish. I mean, Taylor doesn't eat red meat, so I don't eat that much. I barely eat any red meat, as you know. Like, um, this is also why we went to the steak restaurant. <laughs> yeah, it was. I do eat the only time I eat red meat, really, especially like steak or burgers, is like in decent places now. Mm. That's why we went to that place. But um, yeah, fish is like a staple for me, like three or four times a week. Yeah, I, mm. I like I like a fish. I'm a big fan of fish in pasta. In fact. You know, maybe we could get you to try some white bait. Oh, maybe. I don't know. I, I just feel like... Bait. Yeah, I think because white bait is really small. It doesn't like... like Or like sardines... Not sardines. Um, anchovies in things. Like you know, like a anchovies. tuna sandwich. Sam. Oh, God, no. Goodness, no. one of the worst? Oh, it's one of the worst. Yeah, really oh, bad. No. No, I think we've got to try them with the small and, fish first, Dean. And the white thing is, bait, and, anchovies. That's where we're going to start. Yeah, and that's, yeah, yeah. you know, I can't... I don't like fish and chips. And it means all the way to be fair. And I don't it's like, got nothing to do with the fish. I, like, as in, I just don't like battered fish. Full stop. I don't think fish and chips is that great. No, I mean, people, I whenever they come from America, they're desperate the to have fish and chip. And me and Tay are like, don't bother. You're not missing anything. It's shit. I'd rather have a like, pie. <laughs> yeah, just, I'll take you somewhere else and get you some other English stuff. Like, we're not having fish and chips. Rubbish. I just feel yeah. like with me not liking tea and me not liking fish and chips, I just feel like a bit of a fraud. Um, yeah, I mean, all tea the quintessential is, tea English big, things is tea number one because tea is a big bad miss. It's that not. Bad it's miss. not number. It's not number one because there are many viable alternatives to tea that it doesn't really affect you. You know, coffee, okay. tea, tea, and coffee is a, is a. That's standard. true. You can always have a coffee. That's fine. This, yeah. this or that. It, it doesn't really affect me in this way. The number one thing I wish I liked is strikers that score goals. <laughs> 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 yeah. Because I just, yeah. I just, I just hate them, and like you know, I'm acutely aware of the fact that this sport is decided by goals. Um, therefore, they are the most important commodity, um, and yet for some reason, the guys that stick it in the back of the net, I have no interest in. I, I just, it's getting to a point now where I'm starting to wonder about myself, you know. In your fantasy team, do you have three strikers that don't score goals? Yeah, he's got Firmino. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got Mikel Antonio, so that that's not yes. that doesn't really apply. But he's a former wing back, you know. Um, yeah. I've got um, Cameron Archer. To be fair, gunman, um, yeah. but he's he's on the draft team, third on the third slot, and uh, and Awanyi, who doesn't play at the moment, so he can't score. Uh, which is great. Wow, you actually perfect. have got three non-scoring forwards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Archie doesn't either. Archie got a minute, so I think mm. it's none of these people are playing football really. Like yeah. Skamaka will have that spot soon. That'll be that. Trying to avoid, yeah, trying to avoid goals where possible in fantasy. Um, I'm also, I like obviously, you won't be surprised to hear that I uh, I lost my opening fixture in drafts. I actually got scored the le- the fewest points uh, of any 
team in the league. Uh, absolute disaster of an opening weekend for me. So I have got first pick on waivers. And I'm going to be picking up, I think, Gonzalo Gedge, who I told you on Monday I don't like. So, um, you know, and I've got Brendan Aronson, who I told you two weeks ago I don't think is that good. So I text Jack earlier, the hypocrisy here is endless. Yeah, yeah. do you know what? Things You're I, wrong things, about Brendan Aronson. Yeah, things I don't like. I wish I did. Sam's hypocrisy. Um, but <laughs> I think my answer is like most cheeses. But oh, I can yeah. deal with the basic cheeses. But um, but anything kind of stronger than a cheddar, I'm in real trouble. Um, and anything soft, I'm in proper trouble. But I really wish I liked cheese. And I really, really wish I liked mushrooms. They're the two I love, things I don't I love eat. Those two I love things. Yeah. It's the only vegetarian meal I eat is, um, is mushrooms is with cheese. Yeah, yeah, on toast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a good one. Love to like mushrooms. I'd love to like cheese. Don't like either. It's a real shame. Yeah, fair um, but here we are. Here we are. And, and, and on that bombshell, I think we are going to call this a day. Uh, and all that's left for me to do is to say thank you very much to Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much to Mr. Sam Sai. Cheers, buddy. I've been Jack Collins. Thank you as well to Alan Fairley, who joined us from Football España earlier to walk through La Liga and all the things that we can expect from the Spanish clubs this season. We had a hell of a time. Uh, make sure you go check him out on Twitter and on the Football España website. We will be back later in the week with our final and sixth preview of this season, the Serie A preview, which we're very excited to bring you ahead of its return on the weekend also. We'll see you then, gang. Take it easy and thank you for listening. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system, or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.